Good morning. Welcome home. We are so glad you're here today. And we are excited to welcome our Columbus launch team today into our 10 o'clock service for the next two weeks. Uh, those that have, have just felt God nudge their heart uh, to be a part of Columbus, they're going to be over there kind of getting ready for the launch of Columbus on February 24th. Can you all believe we're just a few weeks away from launching a church? How awesome is that? And so we're excited about that. Yeah, let's give God a hand. That's awesome. And so we're excited about that. That's going to be coming up very soon. And then the church uh, in Columbus will be rejoining us on February 17th at the Bicknell Center, and we're going to be having a sending service that day. And so we hope that you'll come out and be a part of that that day. It's going to be an exciting time, a special time just to to send out those that are going to be going to Columbus. And so we hope that you'll come and be a part of that. That's going to be a special day in the life of our church. That'll be one service at 10 o'clock, and we're going to pray over those that are going to, to uh to Columbus and just worship together one last time in one location. And the next week will be one church in two locations. Amen. And so we're excited about that. We're also excited to share with you today that just over five months ago, just over five months ago, um, we cast vision to send people to Columbus and also to send a hundred thousand dollars over to Columbus, and we've been raising that and hoping that we would hit that goal and believing that we'll hit that goal by February 24th. And you guys, we raised the last dollar this week. We've raised all $100,000. So all glory to God, amen. God is faithful and He is in this, and we're excited about that. We're also excited about today. We're starting a two week series today. I guess you'd call it like a mini series. Uh, today and next week called At the Core because some things are non negotiable. At the Core because some things are non negotiable. Now, I have to be honest with you today, at my core, uh, I'm just not okay with the Chiefs not being in the Super Bowl tonight. <clears throat> and we actually have two staff pastors that are traitors. So this is their last day at our church. <laughs> Pastor Age is playing the bass guitar in Columbus today because they're having worship over there. And he has on Rams gear. He met with us this morning to pray. And then our, you know, our, our, our children's pastor, Pastor Thomas, he's a misguided soul. He has on a New England Patriots jersey, of all things. So don't speak to him and wish him well. Uh, as this is, <laughs> so no, I'm not bitter at all. So, but you know, there are things that are core that aren't about sports or more important than that, uh, that we think about and really are at our core. They're non-negotiable. Um, while I, Whitney and I were in St. Louis, I was a pastor, youth pastor there for a few years. Uh, there was this guy in our church who, at his core, he had some odd non-negotiables. Like, <clears throat> he did not want the pairs of his socks to touch other pairs of his socks in his dresser drawer. So he had these special inserts made into his dresser drawers. So each individual pair of socks, some of you are laughing and some of you are like... <laughs> he had individual you know, inserts put in so that each pair of socks would not touch each other. Not only was that at his core, but in his closet, he didn't want any of his dress shirts or t-shirts to touch each, to touch each other. His food was the same way. 
I mean, at his core, he had some non-negotiables. Now, for me, uh, that's not how my closet looks, and I just have a pile of socks that we go through to kind of look through. So no matter how we are, we all have these non-negotiables, and God also has non-negotiables that are obviously more important than a ball game or socks or food or shirts. And we want, excuse me, we want our non-negotiables, the things that that are, are at our core, to be what is at God's core. Amen? And so today and next week, we're going to be talking about five things, three of them today and two of them next week. I almost went three of them today and two of them next week. So we're going to talk about three of them today and two of them next week that are at God's core, and so they have become our core. And when you think about what's at God's core, really what's at God's core is not the things that you and I necessarily would always think are at our core. They're things that that go beyond the seen into the unseen. In fact, that's what God was trying to tell the prophet Samuel when God was looking for a new king. Uh, Israel had a king named Saul who was disobedient, had a heart that wasn't, was disobedient, wasn't what God wanted it to be. And so as a result, God got fed up and he said, you know what? I'm looking for a new king. And so he tells Samuel, I want you to go to this guy's house named Jesse. He's got a bunch of sons and I'm going to tell you which one of those sons are going to be the next king because one of them is, is who I want. And so as he goes into this house and he begins to look at these sons, he begins to size them up. And he sees the guy that kind of looks the part. You know what I'm saying? Is the right height, tall, dark, and handsome, well-spoken. And Samuel thinks to himself, this is who God's going to choose as the next king of Israel. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, the Lord, me, God says me, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, Samuel. And God says, people judge by what? Outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart, right? Let's read that together. But the Lord looks. Yeah. So in other words, what God's saying at his core is, is not necessarily what's at our core. In fact, Samuel was a prophet. I mean, it wasn't just like some guy off the street. And yet this prophet Samuel didn't have his core necessarily match up with God's core. So Samuel looks through all these sons of Jesse and God doesn't give him the okay. None of these guys are it. And Samuel's like, you said Jesse's house, right? 601 Village Drive, right? No? Yeah? Yeah? So Samuel says to Jesse, hey, do you have any more boys? Any of them out playing basketball or something? He says, well, I mean, we've got like this kid. I mean, I've got a 12-year-old boy. He's out in the field working the sheeps and the goats. And Samuel says, well, let me go see him. And he goes out into this field, and this boy's name is David. And as Samuel approaches David, God says, that's the next king of Israel. And Samuel's like, boy, when you say that the Lord looks at the heart rather than outward appearance, you really mean it. And what's so cool in this scripture is David, according to God, was after the heart of God. David was after the heart of God. Can you imagine in your whole life, if nothing else was accomplished, you know, you, you weren't very successful financially, you, you couldn't play a sport or sing a song or play something really well, or you didn't have any major accomplishments that the world would say were of value. 
But imagine if God looked at you and said the one thing that he or she had was they were after my heart. I mean, what else is there in life? Amen. And David was after God's heart. In fact, it says, I have found, God says, I have found David, son of Jesse. Let's finish it. A man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So how did God know that David was after his heart? And how do we know that God sees us as someone who is after his heart? I mean, what's on the test? You know what I mean? My wife was just amazing at being able to tell when we were in college, that's when I met her, what was on a test. The girl never got an A- minus in her life. Okay, I like Skittles. I like variety. You know what I mean? All, all the different, right? She, she was this, so she could be able to look at something. She wasn't even in my class. She'd be like, that'll be on the test. That won't be. And sure enough. So if we're going to stand before God someday, what's on the test? How does God say? You know, it's easy to say they're after my heart. How does God say that we're after his heart? Well, you see it in that same passage of Scripture on the screen. David will do everything. I want him to do, which makes sense because then Jesus says in the New Testament, if you love me, if you're after my heart, if you love me, right, you will obey my commands. It's like God, even in, I mean, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and, and today as well, he connects love and being after his heart with obedience that's probably not new to some of us, and some of us know that, and we've forgotten, and maybe for some of us, we've never made that connection. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. David's obedient heart was proof that he loved the Lord first in his life. So today, we're talking about things that are at the core. If, if something's at God's core, it needs to be at our church's core, which is our first core value as a church, and more importantly, a biblical core value, which is we love God first decidedly. Say that with me. We love God first decidedly. See, David had made a decision, not an emotional you know, feeling, but he made a decision in his heart, that he was going to follow God first. And God knew that. I mean, you think about that. I would not pick a 12-year-old boy to be the, you know, the next king at some point, and yet God does. God looks at our heart. He looks at our intentions. He looks at what he's called us to do and if we're following it. So this morning, I would ask each one of us, including myself, is the desire of your heart, is the desire of my heart, is the desire of our heart as a church to please God? God says David's, David's was because he loved God first decidedly. You know, sometimes it's easy to love God or to do what God wants us to do until, you know, we're upset. We're angry. 
And when we're angry, sometimes, I know you've never heard anybody do this, but sometimes when we're angry, things can fly out our mouth. Okay? Some of you are looking down. I don't know why. Sometimes when we're angry, things can fly out of our mouth. And yet Jesus says, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we're after God's heart, if we're after being obedient to Him, if we want to to love Him first, then our heart will reflect that through our actions. See, obedience to God can't be determined by emotions. Instead, it's a decision that's made despite a person's emotional temperature. Marriage is the same way. Friendship is the same way. For better or for worse or until I get upset with you. Or you don't please me anymore. Or or I don't, you know what I'm saying? Obedience to God can't be determined by emotions. Instead, it's decision made despite a person's emotional temperature. David was after God's heart. We also see that as David's obedient heart not only made him pleasing to God, David's obedient heart also allowed him to serve his enemies. You know, it's easy to serve people that love us. It's easy to serve people who think a lot of us. It's hard sometimes to serve people who who don't. David's obedient heart allowed him to serve this guy named Saul. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament story in 1 Samuel, David was was a guy who grew up, you know, as a boy in the field and then later kills this guy named Goliath who's nine foot nine inches tall and 500 pounds. And God begins to give David favor with the people of Israel while Saul is still king. And at some point, you know, Saul and David get along fine, but then all of a sudden jealousy creeps in. You know, Saul stops liking David's posts on Instagram right? He starts seeing the highlight reels on Facebook, and he's a little jealous of the vacation or the different things that were going on in his life, and so he stops liking it, right? In fact, so much so that in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, Saul ends up trying to kill David at least 12 times just in those two chapters alone. Now, I don't, I know Brooke last week talked about, or a couple weeks ago, talked about how, you know, we don't have enemies, as, as Christians, we don't have enemies, which is true. We love everyone. But sometimes people want to be our enemy, don't they? Can you imagine if you had somebody you worked with that tried to kill you 12 times? <clears throat> or, you know, didn't want anything to do with you to the point that they wanted you you're gone. And King Saul was this guy. In fact, David was so tormented with this relationship that was strained. Now, you and I may not have people that have attempted to kill us that many times, but we have some difficult people in our life, don't we? We have some people in our life that we don't understand very well. Some people in our life that are a little harder to get along than other people. Sometimes we're related to them. Sometimes we sleep next to them. Sometimes it's somebody that we wish would give us a chance. And for whatever reason, 
King Saul was at this place, and David was fed up with it. And he gets to the point where David just begins to think, am am I going to even make it to king? Am I even going to be what God wants me to be? Because all that ever happens is Saul just tries to sabotage me at at every point. I'm sitting at dinner, and he throws a spear at me. I mean, you can read that in Scripture. I mean, it's just all this stuff. And then David finds an opportunity that he could take advantage of. And yet David's obedient heart won't let him do it. You know, sometimes even as Christians who really love the Lord, there are times where you would really like to say it. Raise your hand if there's ever been a time where you didn't say it, but you wanted to. Come on, raise raise your hand. Let's be honest. That's a safe place for all of us, right? You would love to say it, but you didn't say it. And then there's times where we said it and we wish we wouldn't have. Saul is out and about and he ends up needing to go to the restroom. True story. You can read about it. Finds a cave to use the restroom. They didn't have Johnny on the spots back then. And what he doesn't know is that David and his men are hiding in this cave. Now, even though you didn't do the wrong thing, there's times where the wrong thing crosses through your mind and you have to decide not to do it. David sees this as an opportunity that he could potentially kill Saul because he's in a vulnerable position, and be rid, true story, laugh, true story, he's in a vulnerable position, and he could kill Saul, and he could be rid of Saul, and he already knows that God has chosen him to be next in line. But while his feelings, right, we talked about emotions, while his feelings are telling him one thing, while his emotions are running wild telling him, you know what, just end this dude's life, end the suffering, His obedient heart at the core of who God's made him to be tells him God doesn't want it to go down like that. God wants it to go down like or David wants it to go down like that, but God doesn't. And David's men are loyal and they're fixing to go after him. And David stops them. He says, God would not be pleased with this. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Read that with me. So David restrained his men and did not let them. How do you serve people who make your life difficult? I mean, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Sean was here, and he was in, we were in this series, Be Generous, you know, Time, Talent, and Treasure. His week was talent, and he talked about how we're to serve people with our talents, serve the church with our talents. But then there's not just serving the church or, or serving with your giftedness. There are times where God calls us through an obedient heart to not serve friends, but to serve foes, to serve difficult people in our lives, because God's love calls us to do that. How do you serve difficult people? Well, I don't think David was the only one that had difficult people in Scripture. Paul also did that Garrett had talked about earlier. And Paul says, make allowances for each other's faults before I read the rest of it. So you've got to do the first six words on that screen before you can do the next six words. Make allowances. You know, uh, Steve Heffley, who, who passed away here recently and 
was, you know, very involved in my life and meant a lot to me. And he would just, he, one day he went over to our house and, you know, talked to us about finances because we were going to have Whitney quit work so that she could have Noah. And he went over that and he began to tell us about things we should budget for. And Paul is saying here, one of your budget items, if you're a finance guy, a numbers guy today, you have to budget for making allowances for people. Because just like when you budget money so that you don't spend impulsively, this is good. We have to make allowances in our heart for people to make errors and to do stupid stuff. So that when it happens and we're in the moment, our heart has been submitted to God and we make allowances, right? Budget for other people's fault and it allows us to forgive anyone who offends you because the Lord forgave you. See, some of us have sophisticated grudges. That's what I have that I have to let God have right? I struggle with those sometimes. And the Lord reminds me of those, and I have to lay them back down. See, as believers, sometimes we think we lay down, you know, we lay down some type of a, of a, of a, a grudge, and we think if we lay it down that we're not, we're never going to pick that back up. But the truth is, sometimes we pick them back up, don't we? And we have to keep making room We have to keep letting God have more and more of our heart so that we can continue to make more and more allowances. Sometimes the best way to love someone is to tolerate them and not kill them while they're in the cave. Right? You have no idea how many times I was going to hurt you. But I didn't. Are you budgeting for people to be imperfect Are you budgeting for people to hurt you, sometimes deeply? And we're not budgeting for people to hurt us because we want to be hurt. We're budgeting because God budgeted for us. Right? I mean, Jesus climbed up on a cross and paid a debt that he didn't know. For us, so that we could serve others the same way that Jesus served us selflessly. That's a core value of God's. That's one of our core values. It should be any church that follows God's core value. We serve others selflessly, including our enemies. Say it with me. Including. See, it's not serving our friends, but rather serving our foes that identifies that we're kingdom people. Come on, y'all know this is true. It's at least biblical, right? We don't feel it emotionally because maybe our mind's going to somebody, but it's biblical. No one's going to say it isn't. It's not serving our friends that tells people that we're kingdom people. It's serving our foes.
God valued David's heart because he was obedient. And because David was obedient, he was able to serve his enemies. And we also see in David's life that David's obedient heart helped him experience the power of friendship. The power of friendship. Say that with me. The power of friendship. David realized pretty quickly in his life with Saul, his enemy, that there were going to be some times and some scrapes that he was going to get into that he was not going to be able to get out of it by himself. And can I tell you today that there are times in our life where no matter how self-sufficient that we are, right? Like those homesteaders on that show in Alaska that make their own stuff, their milk, and, and you know, kill their own animals and eat them and, and live off the land and the country boy can survive. I mean, it's all about being able to be self-sufficient. We make our own candles. You know, we've got all this stuff that we can do on our own and we, we get, you know, pride, we get filled with pride when we can be self-sufficient. And there's parts of that that are important, right? It's important to, to, to carry our own weight in life. To not just be takers. And sometimes we can get so focused that way that we want to walk through valleys by ourselves instead of letting someone walk beside us. And David's obedient heart allowed him to be humble when God sent him a friend named Jonathan to receive that friend and develop relationship with him. In fact, God sent David, Jonathan, and Scripture says that Jonathan, you guys have him too, not just your spouse. You have some people in your life that you care for deeply. And they care for you. And they're, they're friends and then there's special friendships. And some of you say, well, I don't have a special friendship. Well, it could be not because there's something wrong with you. It could be because you've not let someone in to be that special friend because someone else betrayed you or hurt you. So that part might be dysfunctional, but the reality is you and I were created with a relationship with God and with each other. And Jonathan loved David as himself. You see, God didn't intend for people to do life alone. My grandma fell and broke her pelvis. And she's 90 years old. She'll be 91 in September. And she was sitting up at a nursing home and I went by and saw her and she said, Kyle, the food in here is terrible. <laughs> they don't have any, let you have any salt. Can't get nothing I want to eat. They're bringing me this stuff. I'd rather have Josie's. If you need me to run there, I can, Grandma. And people would just keep coming by her room to the point where I'm like, we need to put a sign on there so people leave her alone. Why? Because grandma valued relationships. And just yesterday, our family sat in her, in her living room. Why? Because she's led us into her life and we've opened our lives to her. See, God set it up that we're never to walk alone intentionally. And let me just start with this. 
just because you're a you're divorced or or you're single or your spouse has died or you don't have any family, that doesn't mean what I'm talking about is now you're just destined to be alone. See, God created a church family for a reason. God created friends for a reason. And just because you sleep in a bed alone or you feel alone doesn't mean that God wants you to be alone or desires for you to be alone. Just because you don't have a dad or a mom. I used to tell kids this in youth group all the time. Just because you don't have a dad or a mom doesn't mean God can't send you a spiritual daddy or a spiritual mom or someone in your life that can love on you. But it's hard to love someone who won't let somebody in. Ever tried to hug somebody who's doing this? It's hard, isn't it? And the people doing this are saying, no one wants to hug me. No one wants to be around me. Well, look what you're doing. David's obedient heart allowed him to drop his guard and develop a friendship. See, God's called you to walk beside someone. And God's called you to let someone walk beside you. You know, remember, we can't walk beside everyone, but we can walk beside someone. I'm just going to talk to men for a second because I am one. But guys, we like to be islands. We like to be our own situation. We like to be able to supply everything that we need, but just like on an island, at some point you're out of food and you got to go somewhere or you're going to die. And folks, one of the traps that the enemy uses with people, especially guys, and not just guys, I'm not trying to stereotype, but definitely guys at times, is this self-sufficiency. Because we're taught as kids not to cry. We're taught to be tough. We're taught to protect. We're taught to be able to handle this. And it's not just a guy thing. Some of us ladies are the same way. But the reality is, is that there are certain things in life you can't get through by yourself. Some things in life aren't about providing financially or providing food or providing shelter or provide self-pride. Some things in life are about spiritual things that God wants us to get through and we need people. So guys, who is walking beside you? You don't need everyone to walk beside you. You don't need to pick someone right now to walk beside. But what if you begin to pray? God, would you show me someone that I can walk beside Lord, could you send someone who could walk beside me? See, our action steps today that go along with what we've been talking about, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, we are obedient to Him. We want to please Him. We want to serve our friends and our foes. We want to walk beside someone and we let people walk beside us. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. By obeying Him. My dad told me, he coached a team one time, and 
in basketball and it they stood in the right spots. I mean they you know they stood where they're supposed to, but it was really mechanical and so like they didn't play help defense. They just guarded their person the whole time. And he said it was frustrating because they weren't they were in the right spots but they weren't doing it the right way. And folks, sometimes we can we can love God but loving God with our whole heart looks different than loving God. I mean, loving God, we're in the right place, right? You're in church today. You're like, check that off. I'm in the right place. You open up your Bible maybe even in the mornings and you're like, I'm in the right place. I read my scripture I was supposed to. I'm in the right place, but loving God with all your heart is not just being in the right places. I mean, that's kind of half the work. But loving God with all your heart is not only being in the right place, but, but wanting your heart to be in the right place and seeking God with all your heart. Those things combined allow you to be in a position to be obedient to Him. So are you chasing God's heart by desiring to please His heart? And that's a good question. Are you chasing God's heart by desiring to please His heart? What if God's not pleased with the movies you go see? There's no nudity in Him. There's not a ton of cussing in Him. But what if God... I'm not preaching against the movie, but I'm just saying, what if God's not okay with it? And you've like turned that switch off because it's not that big a deal to you. Not that big a deal for me to go shopping with my wife at all. But it is to her. What if the things that you say out your mouth and I say out, you know, my mouth and, and we've made the declaration that it's okay, what if God's not okay with it? What if instead of picking on these specific topics, what if you just told God, God, if there's anything in my life that is not pleasing to you, you have permission to make an edit. You have permission to change anything. If we would pray every day, God, if there's anything in my life that's not what you want it to be, You have permission to change it. If we would pray that prayer, we would be chasing God's heart. Especially if when he told us what it was, we were obedient to him. The other action step, serve your friends and your foes. God doesn't want us to be selective in who we serve. In life, David didn't just serve Jonathan. David served Saul. So here's my question. Here's the tension creator. You ready? Ready for some anxiety? Are you loving and serving just the Jonathans or are you including the King Saul's? Amen. 
Walk beside someone. And let someone walk beside you. Are you being Jonathan to someone? Listen, let me just tell you. I'm being honest. There's 600 people at this church. And we're getting ready to launch another one. I can't walk beside everyone and neither can our pastors. I can't walk beside every person. It's not possible. But our hope and belief is is that someone is walking beside everyone. And in your life, you can't walk beside everyone at work or at school or wherever. But if you begin to pray, Lord, use me, He will send you someone to walk beside I think one of the most wasted lives is a life of apathy. Where we had the opportunity and we didn't do anything. Imagine what would happen in your life and in your family, in our church and in our community around the world, if people would start loving God and defining love by obedience. Imagine if people begin to chase after God. I hope that at the end of my life that God would look at me and say, I mean, this is my my greatest desire. I'm not saying it will happen, but it's my greatest desire that God would look at me and say, Kyle chased after me. He was after my heart. Forget the rest of the things that the world could say. Just, he chased me. Imagine if we did that. Imagine then that if we did that, how much easier it would be to serve the souls of our life. I mean, every time... Every time that someone is mean to us or says horrible things to us or treats us with contempt or misunderstands us or, or does whatever to us, imagine if our heart was so obedient to God that every single time that we, we begin to serve our enemy, the image of Jesus Christ on the cross was flashing through our minds. Every time that we saw an enemy or a foe or someone that's hurt us, even maybe from childhood, the cross that Jesus is hanging on was in our minds. How much easier would it be for us to tolerate them or to serve them or to love them or go to our family dinner with them or not hate them? I think there are churches that love God. And there's churches that love God with their whole heart. There's people that love God. If you are here today, you probably at least like God or you're at least open to hearing about God or you wouldn't be here. But do you and I love God with our whole heart? Because when we love God with our whole heart, it helps us serve our enemies. And it helps us see the needs of other people that we can walk beside. 
See, it's easier sometimes to walk beside people than it is to let people walk beside us. It's not that hard of a stretch for you to, you to be compassionate to someone else. You don't even have to be a Christian to, to be a neighbor to somebody, but sometimes it's hard to let your neighbor be a neighbor to you. As we're obedient, we love God, we love our enemies, and we love the value that God brings in friendships. We will love God first decidedly. We will serve others selflessly. And we will never walk alone intentionally 